All right, social media family. Thank you for joining us once again for lesson four in our series, Lessons from David. Now, tonight's subtitle is Move On. Move On. Now, what I want to do, I'll jump right to the scriptures tonight. So let's go to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. And we'll start at verse 23. Now keep that theme in mind as we're reading. Okay? The phrase move on. All right. And 1 Samuel 15, starting at verse. I'll start at verse 22. Reading it in the New Living Translation. <coughs> says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Say so you, you have rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you as king of Israel. Now, before I jump to the outline, you see this in Samuel confront Saul. Now you see Saul making an admission of guilt at this point. Right? So if he's making an admission of guilt here, why do you think there was no change or no opportunity for a second chance here? That's a good question. Okay. Good question. What? I didn't hear that. It says the covenant that it was, they was under. The whole covenant. Oh, yeah. That's that's right. Okay. Yeah. Wait,
You can give lip service to repentance. Just because you say something doesn't mean your heart's in it. And Samuel said something because you rejected the word. The Lord's rejected you. Even today under grace, when you have like a prophet, I'm talking about a real prophet, they really, you know, trust God and stuff, not like, quote unquote. And, you know, they've like ministered to crowds and stuff and they can pick people out and they say different things to different people. You know, even if it's harsh, but it's correct, you know, correcting, but then they'll see some people, you know, one person they may, you know, hug and say, hey, you know, you need the father's love and no matter what you've been through. But then the next person might be like, hey. If you make this choice, you know, not God's doing it, but, you know, they're warning, like, this is going to happen. But they see, and, I, you know, Samuel saw through it. God, you know, showed him that he was a big um, egotistical person, <laughs> Mr. I mean, King Saul at the time. Because I'm, I'm just, you know, looking at this study and I'm looking at how we're continuing to do this comparing contrast between David and Saul. And, you know, again, just want us to realize the the level of mercy that we have been, have been given in Christ. Yeah. Because how many how many folks mm -hmm. in his Saul situation would do what he did? Because it's easy to you know in hindsight mm -hmm. to criticize him, mm -hmm. right? How could he do this? How could he do it? Again? <clears throat> that kind of thing. But <clears throat> excuse if me. you were in those shoes, how do you know you wouldn't make the same choice? You may, may not. But at the end of the day, Scripture says that think these things were written for our learning, mm -hmm. right? So I'm, I'm we look at this all and say, okay, he missed it in several different areas. But not to get to a place where I'm looking, I'm I'm looking my nose down at Saul. Like, how how could you be so despicable? Yeah, you know, yada yada. Not knowing, you know, knowing that us being fallible human beings, we are vulnerable to, if not for the grace of God. Well, exactly, because if you said we look down our nose at Saul, but if that's if you don't have a judgmental heart, then see, because that's not what I did, because but that's what people do now, you know, so I don't look I don't I I've worked really hard to not judge people and mind my own business. If so you go further though, I personally did not it. look at Saul and judge him because if that's how we feel now, then you're probably doing that to the people that are alive today. Did you get my point? Yeah, we have to judge, so we have I don't to judge, judge him because I don't judge people. I don't judge any of them. I look at David and Saul stuff he did. He was a man yeah. for God's own heart. I thought the mercy of God, that's what I need. I don't need any kind of judgment. Yeah, exactly. But for the grace of God, go I. I mean, we all have that And David, adultery, murder, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, he kept going back and repenting, and he was, he was, he was accepted. So would we do that if we were there? That's a good question. I don't know. I repent 30 times a day. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. And 16 on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> now, 
How old is the Hebrew to, to go back to verse 17 here? Alright. Same chapter. Okay, we're gonna go back. Matter of fact, I'm gonna go back a little further. Let's go. Verse two. Okay. So this is where the disobedience started here. All right. So he says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I decided to settle accounts with the nations of Emlech for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Telem. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel, 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his, his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites, move away from the Amalekites, from where the Amalekites live, or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Canaanites packed up and left. All right, pause. Okay, so we see obedience in motion here. All right, he's, he's in Saul's in motion. Right? Okay. Verse 7. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Hevelah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything. In fact, that appealed to them. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or poor quality. Now, what do we see here? Disobedience. Now, we see the disobedience here. Right. What verse is that? Because this is ending it. Verse 9. Oh, we only have verse 8. It's 9 right there. Oh, you're over there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, this is interesting. We talk about David being a, gang, a man of the God's own heart, right? Now, Saul here, he destroyed, you know, he says, they completely destroyed everyone else, okay, but Agag was left alive, all right? And they kept the best of the sheep, the goat, cow, the, all the provision. They kept the best of that. Everything that appealed to them. But they destroyed everything that was worthless of poor quality. Now, it's, it's kind of a halfway obedience, right? Yeah. It, it's not that he, that he he destroyed all the people and didn't kill any of the, the goats or the lambs or the cattle. He just kept the best ones. It seems right path. <laughs> and, and the poor ones, 
the worthless ones, he destroyed those. All right. Now, doing a compare and contrast, remember when David, I, I, I'm, I'm foggy on, it's in Chronicles, when someone was giving, offered to give him a field free. Oh, right? yes. And you couldn't take it for free. And David said, I can't give to the Lord, which would cost me nothing. Mm -hmm. He had had to, yep, he had to cost him something. Yep. Right. That was awesome. So again, so we see a highlight of the difference between David's heart and Saul's heart. Both of them messed up. I mean, you could just both of them got rostered, a roster of sin, a resume of sin. But see, that that's another one of those moments where you can see. The difference between and for Saul it would have been a sacrifice to kill those good animals, and wouldn't the sacrifice he was willing to make. In other words, these things can do me good, you know. So that's that's why he did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's when we get into God says do this, and because we don't understand His ways and human reasoning mm -hmm. kicks in, and so you do mm -hmm. what you think is logical. It's like if somebody's got two cars and God tells you to destroy both of them, but you look at it and say, man, that, that's a caddy. I don't know if I want to destroy that. <laughs> I'll keep that for myself. It's got a nice page. I'll destroy the other Good one. mileage. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah and see, and, and we see this time and time again. You just look at, you know, you do character studies. Because all you got to do is look at Abraham. He's the father of faith. The father of faith. Uh-huh. <coughs> the one that offered up his wife twice mm -hmm. to the foreign Tinker, she's my sister. Yeah, that's my <laughs> sister, man. I'm like, okay. He did that twice, not just one time. Yeah, he did. Yep. He did it twice. His name was once. That's like, it was twice he did it. And then Sarah herself, you know, their reasoning. Like, okay. She know her, her you know, her, her factory has kind of been shut down for a while. How are we going to have a child? You take my servant here. girl over here. You take my servant girl. Take this. See, but this yeah, again, human reasoning. She's <laughs> trying to, you know, Fix. accomplish yep. the promise of God, mm -hmm. right? But even in that, I'm, I'm still I'm looking for the difference in between their transgression, David, Abraham. Versus Saul. Now think about Abraham, right? So he messed up. Big time. Big time. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, you know, you put your, your wife out there, man. Twice. Yeah, Same situation King twice. Like, what are you trying to do, King? He's like, what are you trying to do to me? And you they, said that was her sister. The angels came to her. And, and, yeah. and she laughed at him. Yep. She looked up and said, yeah, right. <laughs> right. But they're in the Hall of Faith. But old Abraham, when Sarah brought him that 19-year-old beauty queen and said, God told me you have to take this woman and have a baby. You know what he was thinking? How lucky can I get? There was no disagreement there. There was no, no disagreement. It, it, yeah, I mean, you didn't read that description where there was a struggle. No. What you see, you see that you, you see 
faith connected. Faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Trust in God's faithfulness. But how come Sarah never asked any questions? She just like, okay. Like, why didn't she ask God questions? You know, she just made assumptions and went with it. She could have asked questions about it's just is this a good idea you know nope, that's she human did reason. not and nope. so I don't think the Bible tells us why wasn't the first time that God spoke to Abraham he simply said you will be a father of many nations it wasn't until later that he said you and Sarah will he, he, he didn't include Sarah the first in the first instruction but do you see, do you see wives asking her husbands any questions back then? I was thinking the same thing. In that culture, I don't think that happened yeah. a lot. No, but I'm saying it's they didn't. They didn't. They just said, you, "Abraham, you will be." Sarah wasn't. But later, God said, "Include Sarah. You guys will produce." Because if he had said that the first time, maybe she wouldn't have offered Hagar. I mean, look at what I'm saying. My thing is, we're talking about the impossible. He's talking about human reasoning. So I was like, okay. And the one can't happen. Yeah, I can't have no babies. Yeah, I can't have babies. I ain't had any. She didn't even picture herself being involved. So why am I going to ask a question? I know, okay, this is humanly impossible. So, okay, the only option I can come up with is. Offering have, somebody else. Yeah, up. have a baby at my handmaid's so, knee, that kind you know. of thing, you know. Have our child. So then child. we could ask God why. I'm so, I never thought of this in my whole entire life. So when you brought up that about Sarah the first time, like, I'm like, okay. Um, that's so interesting because why, in God's eyes, did it have to be Sarah? Because that everybody's reasoning makes sense. Because it's like, well, as long as it's Abraham, does it matter if it's Sarah or not? That's a good question. I bet if you trace her lineage, she goes back to a priestly lineage. Something. There's something, something, something else is involved in it. Or is it that the covenant that they're married and but then his um, her maidservant doesn't she become then his wife? At that point, I thought that in general. Well, she has baby, that, and then he puts him out. I know, but I know that, but it's like, well, why, you know, like, it's such a weird custom because they're, are they, then are they like kind of married? I mean, because he could divorce her, you know, he could know. marry her and then divorce whatever Hagar. But it doesn't they do it say they got married. Does anybody know no. if they got married? No. They didn't lose wives. They Is that married. just assumed that you're married now or something? I don't know. I don't know what the culture was. No, but she was a maid servant. She wasn't, you know, Sarah was his lawful wife. Right. And Hagar was just a servant, right. yeah. Right. So, so kind of bringing it back here, right? Sure. So we see human reasoning. In the Human and in all of all of their scenarios, even with David, when he counted the, the census, you remember that situation, mm -hmm. right? 
And then, of course, we just finished talking about Abraham and Sarah. So you see Saul, human reasoning coming into play. But one thing that you see with Saul that you don't see, Abraham, Sarah, David, is the one... The, the blame shifting. That would say when confronted. Sh- yeah. One. Blame shifting. And it was one. Yeah. The people bondage. Because you know in Proverbs the scripture said the fear of man is a snare. Mm-hmm. And Saul was a politician. He was worried about the people. Yeah. What they're thinking. Yeah, very political. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean if you you know and we, we say that kind of crass, but it honestly the, the amount of influence that the people had on Saul versus a direct <laughs> command from, from the word of the prophet. Right? Yeah. See, so when David is confronted with the word of the prophet, how does he respond? He obeys. He he's, yeah, he's repentant, but he obeys. Yes. He turns. He obeys what they say. And, and just like, oh my God. Distraught. Yeah. So, a man of the God's own heart, regardless of, you know, the, the sin stains that are there, trusts in God's faithfulness. You see that? And you know, Abraham and Sarah did that. They rested, even though in, in all their mistakes. Had to have. Yeah. All right. Going back to the scripture, verse, look at verse 10. It says, She's there. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has and refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. (laughs) Big mistake. And then he went on to get Gilgal. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) David didn't set up a monument for himself. No. Abraham didn't either. No, they were. They, they just, were, they just built altars for the Lord. Yeah, they were, they were going after God. That's, well, that's about the land that he wanted to to sacrifice to the Lord and had to buy some. He couldn't see that was integrity right there. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. Okay. Halfway. Fourteen. <laughs> Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded? It's true that the army spared the is it is true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going but, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Again, so human reasoning here, right? Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked? And Samuel told him, although you may 
although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, so they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God, Gilgal. All right, so you see that, verse 21. But I did. But I did. It's like he wasn't even, he didn't even catch it on his own self that he had missed it really big. But I did. What are you saying? I did. We bought back, we bought back the king. Where did Samuel say, bring back the king? He was totally, he was going like, he wasn't here. And then the troops did it. My troops did this. It was grieved when he said, "You f fly upon the spoil." Well, what orders did he give his troops? Mm -hmm. I doubt that they just made that decision for themselves. The King James says, "But the people took up the spoil, sheep and oxen, and chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and Gilgal." So again, he's, he's shifting the blame to the people, the pressure of the people, right? Even if even if this is correct, and he's not, you know, telling a, a, a outright lie, it's still him submitting to the pressure of the, the what the people want versus what God is is commanded. Right? Yes, like look at all this stuff. Do we have? to oh come on now we can certainly God doesn't care if we keep the good stuff we can sacrifice it and we can feed the people yeah. but again it looks good like, human reasoning right so let's say you I'm gonna put you on the spot go right ahead all right you get a you, you get an unction like you get in the you got a work assignment you go in the house and the owners are like, hey, we just need y'all to clean, you know, the, the, the bottom floor. Mm -hmm. And we got we got some a real special compensation package for you. Right. We got we're going to give you 10,000 in cash. Mm -hmm. We're going to give you a couple of couple of bars of gold. We even give you about five Bitcoin. Right. Now, before you go in there, you hear, you get like a sense in your spirit that these people are drug dealers. They and I don't, I don't want to accept that money. This is this is the unction you get. Yes, exactly. Right, you hear this, but you come, you you meet them. They're nice. They dress well. There's there's no there's there's no riff raff in the house. 
You start saying, Lord, I'm going to give 80% of this money to the church. Someone's going to keep playing. <laughs> Here, Julius, we're going to, you know, hey, it's cool. We're going to hey, get some money to Grace and Faith. You see the gold bars, they shiny and brand new. <laughs> and, you, and you see the cash. It's not a check. It's in $1,000. And human thinking kicks in. And then they show you the Bitcoin and you see the price just went up. And that's a hundred, that's, that's over a hundred, we're over a hundred K right there. Now, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but some of you, some of you are going to a little bit like, Lord, what did you say? Did I hear you say, did I hear you right? You, could, you couldn't have said that because you could use this money for good. I mean, that's how people would right. rationalize. That's a tough situation. Right? Because, but again, I mean, you know, when, when things are in your face mm-hmm. to challenge you, to tempt you, you know, you you have to know your God. Now, you guys are thinking about this all wrong because you should calculate the total and then blackmail them for double. <laughs> so... <laughs> you just got it all wrong. But you would have had that prophetic word, though, to, to present to them <laughs> and to have them believe it, that you know that they do what they do. No, I wasn't talking about prophetic word. I was just, if we're going to talk about human reasoning, let's really do human reasoning. <laughs> let's really kick some human Yeah, that would be that would be a very, you know, integrity has to catch And then think of how often you could blackmail them. Integrity has to kick in in those moments, definitely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're used to hearing the word of God, and when you hear it, what he tells you not to do, you're not going to do it. Because you know it's going to, the end's going to be the woodshed. You know? If you disobey. Well, I had a unique thought today that, because I started another, it's not really a Bible study mentor thing online yesterday, that... Um, if you really get to know God, then you're not doing things to avoid punishment or whatever, mm. which is what this is. You know that no matter what he, like forgiveness, the end result of obeying God is joy. Mm-hmm. So that is like a modern day thing. Like people struggle with forgiveness and stuff. So if you learn how to trust God, then that's what he does. It's like you're not trying to avoid punishment. You're seeing the end result of everything God tells us to do is happiness, joy, peace, prosperity, and that's what I came up with today. And if he tells you to give up something now, there's something down the road better than what you're giving up. It just doesn't matter what he tells you. His goal for us is always good because mm-hmm. God is good. So it's like a change of mindset. It's not, oh, stop doing all this wrong stuff so I don't get punished. It's the complete opposite. It's knowing that everything he tells you to do is going to end up being great. I didn't say it was the process was going to be fun, but it's going to be excellent, you know, because people struggle, like I said, with forgiveness. That's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read 22 to 26 again. And he says, in the King James, and Samuel said, 
have the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to, your, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and adultery. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words. Because I fear the people and obey their voice. Now you see, now see, he did, he admits it here. Because I fear the people and obey their voice. The voice of man above God's voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, but thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the word and the Lord have rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel would not lie, would not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the, the Lord our God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now, what do you see here? What I don't see is that Saul loved the Lord. David loved yeah. the Lord. It's totally lacking here. You can follow rules and regulations and because this is what you were told to do and this is your job, and you can do it for all those reasons, but I never ever sensed that Saul loved the Lord. That's what I've been thinking when we talked about this past few weeks as I go, all those days, weeks, years that David spent out being a shepherd and just hanging out with God and playing his lyre, lyre, whatever they he call it. He knew him. And he just, he just, they had a relationship. Yeah. yeah. He, he loved him. That's missing. With yep. Song. Whereas even though he did stupid stuff, he just said, thank God. I, I read a commentary from a Bible scholar who said that this, this tribe, these Amalekites were, uh, uh, mixed with fallen angels, and that's, that's why they had some of the giants. They had giants in the land. When these guys were going to fight giants, they weren't human giants. They were like half-breeds from demonic angels, and that's why God said kill everything, even the animals, even the kids. Destroy because a lot of people, when you talk to them, they'll say, what kind of God do you have? They'll tell you to kill babies and kill women, and, that. and then you say, well, if you go and do your research, you find out that there was a a whole bunch of those tribes that had mingled with fallen angels and had giants all over the place. But what's interesting when you mention the animals, I mean, that's that how, I mean, it must've been really bad because what in the world, why do you got to kill the animals? You'd think, Oh, they're innocent. Well, apparently not. 
Something's going on that's and bad. And they could be spiritually contaminated. Who too. knows? But geez, I can't think. Heiser, I think his name was the, the guy, the uh, researcher. Michael Heiser. Michael Did Heiser. you know he passed away? I no, I didn't know that. that. I just read that today. No, I didn't know that. Jesus cast the demons into the herd of pigs. Oh, well, I just thought of that. I've yeah, never thought. Yeah, right. I was like, yeah, because they're like, cast us into the no, herd of poor pigs. pigs, right? And Jesus was like, go, whatever. So go he, when he was told to kill everything, there was a purpose behind it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a there's a something above obedience. We can obey because it's the right thing to do. Right? Love is is higher. Doing something because you love someone is is much higher than just obeying for obedience' sake. And like, especially if he tells you to give a bunch of money you don't have to somebody, uh, that's sacrifice. I mean, that's really sacrifice. You know, and you have to you have to get get over that. Right, because there, there's you know there's there's you have eye service. Mm-hmm. With when, when people are watching you. There, you know, there's probably things going on. But what if, when there's no audience for one, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And you see that with David. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody out there with sheep. Mm-hmm. Ladies yeah. out there with sheep and everything. Doing all this, you know, talking to the Lord. And won't, he won't on TikTok. He won't get no view. <laughs> it was just him, the Lord. He was him, the Lord, and the sheep. Yep. This is a sheep, right? And he, and he and you you consistently see his care for the people. Yeah, there was a care for the people, yeah. and the 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 desire, the willingness to lay down his life, even in you know the judgments that were that were because of his own transgression. He was like, hey, you know, spare the people, smite me. His goals were always for God's kingdom, whatever would promote God's kingdom. And Saul was mixed, right? He didn't do what God said. He didn't have God's vision in his heart the same way. Just think when David was running from Saul, he was in the cave, and Saul came in, and he had his men were like, destroy him. You can destroy him. He goes, he wouldn't even, he didn't want to touch, I will not touch even his robe. He had such integrity, and he had every right to destroy him. The man was trying to kill him, and he would not even touch him. That tells something about his character. No matter how much mistakes he made, he still his character was so strong. He could not even do that. Yeah, that takes great, great something. Um, it takes inner strength. I'd kill that guy in a heartbeat. He'd been trying to kill him for That's two right. years. You think, but he hears all this rustling. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh! It's like he, had to, he, he like, had to hear God plainly not to do it. I'm sure. Yes, because he's you know men are breathing on like look at all this. He had, he had to have a spirit and saying. This can't be you. You can't be telling me not to do this. Mm-hmm. Yep. If I let this guy go, he's going to get me tomorrow or the next day, you know? Had to have reasoning there. Human reasoning again, yeah. but it was good. But he honored yeah. God's anointing. Yeah. Yes. He honored the position that Saul was in. And again, how many of us? I was like, I would have just, I don't know how, I don't know. Because again, that, that just goes against. Human reason, like Gene said, this dude tried to. He tried to get me how many times? Yeah, oh, like no. and he's got a price on my head. Yeah, bounties on my head. <laughs> but David, he honored the position. He restrained. He would not touch. He, he was anointed. He would not. Even though, even 
even though he knew that he was the one that was anointed king. Mm -hmm. But the man he honored the position that Saul's still there. That, you know, that's a that's a, a level of honor. And he had to be obey, obedient because he didn't have a big fear of killing people. Because he'd already killed thousands like in battles and stuff. But killing somebody wasn't a big deal to him. He had to be hearing God. The relationship again. Yeah. yeah, it is. It means everything. You're talking to God and he's talking to you because you spend all them hours, like it's hours and hours. You know, how there's only so much you can do with the sheep just going you know, eating. It's like talking to God and he's talking to you and showing you all, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. So wonderful. All right. Let's finish in the chapter off. Verse 32. It says, then says Samuel, bring ye hither, hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as thy sword have made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. He didn't mess with those prophets. No. <laughs> Can you imagine? He, he then, took a sword out and chopped him up. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to, to get help of Saul. And Samuel came no more to Saul until the death of, until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Okay. Now remember the title of our, our lesson tonight. Move on. So you see Samuel, he's, you know, he's struggling mm -hmm. with the situation. All right, so let's Ooh. go over to chapter 16, verse 1. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go back to the letter translation here. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with oil, with olive oil, and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. All right. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yeah. Now, before I keep reading, you see how, you know, Samuel still, he's still, he's still struggling with this whole situation, right? But the Lord is telling him to move move forward and anoint the next king. Now, even in spite of what he was dealing with emotionally, he moves forward. Still that right? he goes on and does he's, he's doing what the Lord has commanded. 
Verse 4. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? I guess they need to ask. We chopped up the elders. The news traveled fast. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 5. Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rit for, Je for Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one, one look at Elab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointing. Now Elab, let's see, he probably looked like Saul, tall. Mm -hmm. You know, got that, got that masculine square jaw. You know, looked like, presidential. Yeah, right. <laughs> he looked the part. Verse mm -hmm. seven, though, what the Lord said to Samuel: Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son, Abinadab, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. Samuel said, this is not the one. The Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shema. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all you son, all the sons you have? There is the still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the show the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We would not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with <coughs> oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. the heart. See that next verse? How does the Lord send a tormenting spirit? I know that doesn't, there's something more in there than what that says. Because he doesn't have tormenting spirits. Mm -hmm. well, Amplified doesn't help. All right, well, let's think about this. Previous chapter, Scripture says that the kingdom is taken away from you this day, right? Mm -hmm. That he has rejected you as king. Rejection. All right. So the Lord has rejected Saul as king. Now, you see the Lord... Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And here in verse 13, chapter 16. And then immediately, verse 14, you hear this. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. 
in the Lord's sin, a tormenting spirit that fill him with depression and fear. Now, we can get into the Greek, I mean, not the Greek, but the Hebrew, and how, I, I don't want to get into it, it's a little too technical, but I would just say there are certain Hebrew studies, word studies that say that there's a, a permissive tense that's mm -hmm. there that you, you don't get in these some of these English translations, right? So where it says the Lord sent a tormenting spirit, it's in the Hebrew, it's a permissive tense. The tormenting spirit is allowed. Allowed to come. Because and think about and 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 I'll you know not to get too boggled up into this, but just think about what Jesus said when a demon is cast he out and he comes back and finds the place swept and clean. He can be a bring back seven times more. Why? Because he didn't fill it with the right thing. The demon was ex was 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 <clears throat> evicted. He was cast out. But there was nothing there to feel mm -hmm. the person. The Holy Spirit isn't present. Right? So what do we see here? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon David. The Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Mm -hmm. So what's left? There's an emptiness. Vacancy. Vacancy. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing there. So there's there's room for the enemy, the enemy to come in. Mm -hmm. And now Saul is being used as a as an instrument of who? The enemy. The enemy. Now we all we got to do is read prior to to see this is none of this is the Lord's intent. He don't want none of this. Right. But Saul's disobedience. Over time, but this isn't the first time. It's consequences. He missed it. But his submission to the people, people pleasing, put him in a position where he is subject to the to a tormenting spirit because of the Lord's rejection of him because of his disobedience. Verse 15 says, Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp, wherein the tormenting spirit troubles you. And he will play soothing and you, and you will soon be with him. Yeah. And guess who that is? <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. Who? We can never guess. Get three choices. The very one that David, was a David. king to take his place. Can't make that up. That rubs some salt in your wound or what? <laughs> you have three choices. David, David, David. <laughs> but just now, just pure speculation. Okay. What do you think may have happened if Saul had a moment of true repentance after receiving ministry from David? And was able to realize and see that his that he was the one that was to be king. He might have lived, but he wouldn't have been king. You know? May have lived and 
see in his lineage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His lineage. Jonathan has yeah. some, have, have yeah. some so a, a door for restoration mm-hmm. and redemption. But Saul stayed on that course of disobedience, being subject to this tormented spirit. And it led him to his death. Mm-hmm. And his son perished as well. You know, I think David would have took it well, too. If it would have been, well, you know what? It, I mean, he would, you know, this is like speculation. But if, like, Saul had repented and God was like, okay, well, you can be king again. Not that God goes back on his word. But, you know, and the whole mix of things, something changed. I think David would have took it humbly, any of the stuff, if it had been changed around. It would have been, okay, I'm still God's servant, you know. Just a thought there, side. I mean, it makes it makes sense because it is in line to his, the character, the actions that he did already. Because yeah. it's not he he's not he's not out here chasing clouds. He wasn't in a position to try to be somebody. He not did with the sheep and the goat. He's content doing what he do. He didn't even come in when they had the big dinner and sacrifice. They had to go get him. Mm-hmm. He was saying, "Nah, that's you guys handle that. I'm good out here." <laughs> and then when speaking of Jonathan when he died when his best friend's best of best friend he about about killed him the movie they you know they recorded it and he did anything he could even you know giving gifts to his you know family you know anybody he could his children whatever I was like dang because yeah, he sought out on people's show yes he did and he was a bad little dude he threw rocks at him and cussed him and called him names and all kinds of stuff Still extended mercy. Yeah, the, the soldiers were saying, kill that little dude. Don't let him do that to you. You're the king. You know, David wouldn't do it. Yeah, David wouldn't do it. He couldn't. He brought him at his own table, sat him down, and the rest of his life took care of him. Treated him like number one. You know, we're out there with everything else. Now, thinking about the subtitle of the lesson, moving on. And Sue had mentioned forgiveness and how it can be such a difficult thing for us to do. What is, if, if you are in a position where you're ministering to somebody who's been dealt with a lot of hurt, I'm talking about like, you know, abandonment, um, childhood trauma, sexual trauma, uh, physical abuse, divorce, all of this type of stuff, right? Now, all these things will, will, will sow some deep wounds in your heart. Are you ministering to this person? What is it do we point to to help the person see that forgiveness is opening up the door for them to be delivered? You point to Jesus, but they have to have some kind of revelation to get through all that all that junk. The Holy Spirit's got to give them some kind of revelation. It's true. You could tell somebody in that position sometime, if, like Mr. G was saying, is like, you know, Jesus forgave us, but then at the same time they're sitting there thinking, I oh, know, but it's like, but this, this really, really. I've had guys call me that the Lord has, had, had revealed himself to them. And I've had him call me and say, Gene, 
are you saved? I say, yeah, man, I'm saved. Said, I am too. And I said, get out of here. You're not saved. <laughs> because they, I knew who they were. And, and you know, and uh, the Lord just got, how'd you get saved? God showed me who he was, man. And uh, the guy got saved, you know. That can happen. Yeah. Revelation. And some of the guys I used to hang with were like, not the kind of people you would think would ever get saved. And it's, it's things like this, you know, when people are really have traumatic things that happen to them. I, this is what makes me very hard on the, the sovereignty doctrine. Mm -hmm. well, God's God in the middle of it. That God is yeah. the one that's controlling everything. It's like he, he controls everything that happens and nothing passes Nothing, everything has to be checked by him. People tell me that. I said, we need to take God to court and sue him because he's, he's, he's behind rape and murder and torture. He's behind all that stuff. Because if, if, you, if you, know, you come up listening to that, you hear that, and then you know, you, through, through your young life, you have that tragedy happen to you. Then that's a wide open door for mm -hmm. you. Yeah, how can you trust the person that did it to you? <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, where does that come from? Life and I've come here, yeah, my life and life more abundantly. How do you know? Like I've had almost all that stuff you're talking about happen to me, and I knew it was wasn't God doing it. I knew, you know, I was a good but, but good you servant of the devil. Raised in the church, being taught no, that. No, no, no. It's a difference. But I mean, I mean, I, I as a heathen knew that God wasn't doing that stuff. You know, you didn't have enough religion to teach you otherwise. Thank God, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Because religion, but religion will, will, will twist you mm -hmm. up, right? And it, it just it just sets you up for that bitterness, mm -hmm. and that and that bitterness will will take you to the grave. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was taught that. And I think that I pushed through it, you know, didn't have a lot of um, it's hard reasoning and stuff and just didn't understand. But, you know, I just, I guess at the point, I just rested in, okay. I guess my thought process was, you know what, God get me through it, whatever case may be. But like you said, when you've been taught that. Mm -hmm. you know, okay, hey. So what brought you out of it? Just. Learning the word and well, relationship I mean, with just God. listening to you know, I, I tell you when I you know came across Creflo, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. he began to teach, and like, mm -hmm. and then you know, you kind of said, okay, when you first hear, it, you're like, wait a minute, you're like, okay, this I never heard this before, and he got on fire, and he could really right. teach it too, and you know, you just yeah, he could really teach like, okay. But then you know, it began to kind of say, well, it kind of makes sense. It's like, okay, why would he, you know, because you heard stuff like, you know, well. It was, you know, God, it was meant for you to go to divorce. The divorce is going to help you get here or the tragedy because it's going to help you do this. And as he's preparing you, that's why you, and I'm saying, I mean, think about it, say, okay, but why is God going to use trouble or tragedy to prepare you? Why do he have to use that? Now, I mean, you can grow through, he wants us to grow through that, but that's not his intention. Right, he didn't bring that upon you so you right. could learn, but he can use whatever comes right. to benefit but us. People say, well, okay, so if God knew it, then it's the process. Because if he knows that, then we think he would stop it if he didn't want us to go through it. 
And so this is this thing. This is what they taught us. Okay, yeah, because he would stop because he's sovereign. He can do whatever he want to, when he want to, how he want to. That was the definition of sovereign. And you're like, okay, so and then when you think about it, you sit back and say, okay, well, yeah, he's God. He can do what he wants. And why he got all power. Yeah. Right, but I'm saying you think you're taught right. not to question right. what he does in your life because he knows what's best, right? <laughs> so you just kind of like, okay, so you just like accept it and just like take it on and like, okay, so you know, that case of Ross and whatever gonna be, gonna be. And so you take change. that approach to it. And so now I know, okay, so now I'm taking on stuff that I should be using my authority over. Mm-hmm. I have authority over this. But if you don't know that, then the enemy just probably have a field day with you. I went through a divorce almost 50 years ago, and I thought I was going to die. And uh, I felt like we're, we're being taught that God's in it. You know, He can stop it if he wants to. But he, if he don't want to, he just, he just right. to stick to it. Hang in there. Right. Well, I did, I did hang in there, and I realized... God wanted in it, and then and then uh, later, she and I we run into my ex-wife all the time, and, and what I say when we leave her is thank you. She Jesus. lives across the street. Thank you, Jesus, that she divorced me. And I was at the, I, I was just pining away when it happened. I thought I was going to dry up and die. See you like you know. But then when it happened, once it was all over and I was healed, got it. Got it. It was it, even to this day. I look at it as a blessing. Even though it was it was terrible at the time, you know. But the thing scripture says, you know, okay, God hates divorce. So mm-hmm. why would he Exactly? Yeah. Why would he do that? Now, of course, we know reality stuff happens as humans. We But he didn't do it, but he turned it right. into good. Right. He can turn it into good. That's right. all he didn't do it. He's not the author of it, but he, he turned it into something good in the end. Like when you go through something terrible, if you know it's the enemy, and you mm-hmm. just keep faithful and that 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 bad thing will eventually go full circle. And how twisted that thing. whole thing is. She was told that it was God who brought this other man into her life to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you have to trash the marriage covenant. Right. And all. Even with sickness, you got, okay, well, this sickness came, you know, he allowed it, you know, and he wants me to go through this. Okay, well, we never read that anywhere. One of my lowest points, I was uh, I was in New Jersey visiting my mom. I had this raggedy old hoopty for a car. I had no money. I had lost a house I had at Virginia Beach. I had a four-bedroom house at Virginia Beach. And I'm, I'm walking from my mother's house to uptown, which was like four or five blocks. They were going to have a Memorial Day parade, which they had every year in this little town. And I'm walking up there just feeling terrible. Here comes my ex with her boyfriend and all my kids in this beautiful new car they had. And they all honked the horn and waved at me. Oh. And I looked at him going by. And I remember looking up and saying, there's just something about this that's not right. And I, I got to trust you to make it right. And he did, but it took years. But he made it right. But, I mean, I, that was my lowest point. And I thought, you can't get any lower than that, you know? But, but God is good, and, and uh, he's hanging there with him, and he's really good. And, you know, for God to be so good to try to reach you through doctrines, you know, because we're saying, like, when we have the doctrine, like, God causes everything, and blah, 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 and you can't question it, you know. And I was at a place in my life where 
the young star of the youth group prophetess girl and all this. I mean, some of it was good, but a lot of it was not. And I'd had, like I mentioned here one time anyways, where I had had a prophet, which I think he was a prophet, but I think he was here wrong. No, I know he was because it was horrible when he spoke over me, saying that God was going to mess with my world to see how truly dedicated I was to the call of intercession and all this crud. And I mean, I already was rejected by the other kids. And let me tell you, when I accepted that, oh, that's what God wants me to do. Oh, it went worse. It was horrible. At even the few, mom knows it. She couldn't ground me because I didn't have a social life, long story short, but it was that bad. And um, the two friends I had, I didn't see them anymore. And it, it, it nothing, you know, it just naturally happened. I believed and accepted that. And I remember I finally got to a point where I realized you can be angry with God. You can be real. Not that you need to be angry with God, but I thought he caused it and it was real. And he wasn't going to like snuff me out you know, with fire or something. And I'll never forget, I was on my bedroom floor crying, just wailing, screaming, laying there, tears on the carpet. I'm like, God, why did you cause this? And I could see myself on our platform at our church. And I would stand while I was in singing in the youth group. And the other four girls, they would be standing like five feet away from me because I guess I had the plague or something, you know. Anyway, all this bad stuff I'm thinking. And I'm going like, God, why did you cause this? Why did you tell me that word? Blah, 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 blah. And then God came in and it was, that stuff happened to you before that word came. And it's like it started something in me. And, it, you know, through the years, through the months or whatever it came, I go, God did not cause that. But at the time I could, you know, I'd been taught God caused that stuff. He wanted me to be alone and dependent totally on him and live in a shack somewhere. But it was like, he was trying to show me the best he could. You know, I had my doctrines. I had my way. I perceived God. But he started with a little like, that's not who I am. You know, and I'm like, thank him for his grace, you know. But you're still here, like, and I say it's still, you know, 80, 90% of the time, that's what you hear coming from. You do? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And you know, you then you... you do. And you, you don't resist what you think is from God. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, you know, resist the devil. Well, what's to resist if I right. think everything's from God? But then when you preach the opposite, everybody looks at you like... You preaching something totally, it's like, wait a minute, where do you get that from? It's like you in the minority. It's like, okay, because 89% of the preachers, preachers will believe this, and then you come with this, and then people are like, well, all I heard in my life was this. So mm -hmm. it's hard. And then, you know, if they can't rationalize it, because, you know, then you go, well, okay, well, if that's not meant, then why did God allow all this to happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And then, you know, but the answer, we live in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. Things are going to happen. He never told us. You know, the scripture tells me, he said, in this world, you're going to have yeah, trouble. Exactly. <laughs> he didn't say, in this world, I'm going to call you to have trouble. Right. Yeah. I, I took a friend of mine to church one time, and we were leaving, and uh, this prophet ran up to us. And said, I got a word from the Lord. And I was suspicious right away because it was in the hallway. It wasn't in the building. You know, somebody's got to run down the hallway to give you a word. Sure. They don't want other people to hear it. And it's supposed to be judged by everybody, right? So we're in the hallway. And mm. she looks at him and points and says, God says you're where you are because you're not praying enough. Oh, my And then I looked at her and I looked at him and I said, don't you receive that? I said, that's from the pit of hell. You know? And she got angry. I don't know why. <laughs> the woman who was prophesying, she got angry and turned around and walked out. I was like, oh, oh, wow, right? Don't you receive that, man. 
God, God wouldn't talk to you, talk to you like that anyway. No, he, and he would tell you to draw closer or, or some way. He would tell you in an encouraging different. way. The, yeah, yeah, the yeah, wouldn't not, be like that. This teachings, you know, schools I had been to. If you are not in my head, I'm thinking it's really for like you know the office of the prophet. They're the ones that can prophesy doom and gloom or whatever. But the rest of us. That are, to be encouraging. It's always, if, it's involved. always, always, always must be encouraging. And even when God tells you something that this person's in sin, they still tell you you have to come up with a way, you know, of yeah. doing it in a positive, come to, like you said, in the come to God, mm -hmm. repentance type yeah. thing. It's never supposed to be. I prophesized over people who were going through, like girls who were going through terrible abuse yeah. at home. I guess I'm guessing by their fathers. I don't know, but the Lord would have me say, "You're in a place where people that were supposed to protect you didn't, and they let you it's down, and your heart is broken. Yeah. And they can receive that. Yeah. But if you go the other way, I mean, they're they're not going to you're going to hurt them worse. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but he's not a hurter; he's a restorer. Always, always, always. And then, and then after they hear that. God, God gives them a word of encouragement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about that a little bit ago. Yeah, how it's like I used to they used to bug me and be like, God, you made this situation like if somebody gets divorced or something or they got beat up or whatever, and I'd go like, God, I know you didn't cause it, and 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 I wouldn't dream of thinking you caused it anymore. But I'm like, what in the heck, you know? Like, how does this work? And then I got to the thought, I go, I think it's God is so yeah, like big on making something turning crap into something beautiful, basically. That <laughs> it almost looks like he caused it, but he didn't, you know. Yeah, or, yeah, thanks, yeah. And the, the, there's a lot of uh, everybody here can prophesy, but everybody here is not a prophet. Right. Yeah. There's an office of a prophet, and then there's the, the general pro prophetic. And when you're speaking something that comes from the Holy Spirit, you're prophesying. If you, even yeah. if you're talking to your neighbor or somebody, yeah, it's simple, from the Holy simple Spirit, very simple thing. It's got to be some big, yeah. big oh, oh, profound words. And I prophesy it's a lot, simple. but I'm not a prophet. I've been in church services where people, I had a lot of people lined up in front of me, and God would give me a word for each one of them. But I, I know I'm not in the office of a prophet. And it's just the way it is. Yeah. All right, let me um, post a word on that. First round is 14 and this is Paul talking about the gifts and the King James says but one who prophesies speaks to men 
for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The New American Standard uses the word consolation here. Now, if you look at the word edification here in Strong's, says figurative, figuratively meaning confirmation. The act of building, building up. The mm -hmm. act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. Building. Okay. And then the exhortation. Comfort, consolation. Thayer's definition, a calling near. Summons, impartation, supplication, entreaty. Now you see the language that she used here, All right? Drawing close and the word consolation, comfort, the word comfort here is used. Thayer's definition, any address, whether made for the purpose of persuading or of arousing and stimulating or of calming and consoling. There's another verse somewhere in Corinthians that says, you may all prophesy one by one. I forget where it's at. Corinthians 14. 14 the 25, 25. Is it? So let two or three prophets speak while the rest pay attention, weigh and discern. But if inspired revelation comes to another who's sitting by, let the, let the first one be silent. In the way <laughs> let the prophets you know. speak two or three, let the others judge. Uh, you may all, for you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and may be comforted. So everybody prophesied, they're not all prophets, but they can prophesy. <laughs> Yeah. What was his name? Yeah. What was his name? I didn't want to say it, so I just curious. What in fact, that word for prophecy is the humble. same word they use for preaching. He's a pretty humble man. And if, if, if a prophet makes a mistake, people want to kill him. If a pastor makes a mistake when he's preaching, he just corrects it the following week. <laughs> but, it's, but it's exactly the same function, the same word used. <laughs> that is, that's so funny. I mean, it's interesting to think that. But you hear a prophet make a mistake, and somebody will say they're a false prophet. That that wasn't yeah. true. And and when, it, when a pastor says something wrong, is. even though that that word, the root root word of that, it's the same word. And uh, a pastor can come and say, "I made a mistake last week, and I messed up and said this instead of that." But a prophet doesn't have that luxury. They come after him, man. They tar and feather him. That's why I was careful. That guy that I mentioned earlier said what he mm -hmm. did the prophet. I go. He said other stuff he ministered to the church, mm -hmm. even. but I will say this, see, most of what he even preached on, it was really good, but there was some stuff we don't agree with here and God's goodness and stuff. So I go, there it is. It's mostly, I believe he had a heart for God and everything, but he had some, like we all have, you know, Wonderful stuff. So if this word came, pop, oh, God's going to screw this girl's teenage life up. 
oh, it's good. That's what Don't it is. Don't you think what we believe can taint the way we say what God puts on our heart? Right. And this is why, you know, the, the five-fold ministry mm -hmm. is so vital because every bit, every angle of the scripture is necessary mm -hmm. because you could have a pure, a true prophetic gift, but if it's coming out of a faulty lens, mm -hmm. then there's going to be some dirt and some gunk that comes through that. Yeah. It could be pure water that's there, but if that filter is dirty, right. some of that contamination is going to come out. Right. Yeah. Especially if you've been under legalism for years, right. you're going to condemn people every time you open your mouth, even though you don't want to, because that's how legalism teaches people by condemning them. So, on that note, remembering verse 3 here in chapter 14. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exaltation, and consolation. And when we talk about moving on from tragedies, adversities, from just hardships, we're moving from one season to the next, per prophecy. It's necessary to have the strength to do that. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. 100%. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, social media Yes, family. it is. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Night, guys.